0: Hi, I'm Laura. Hey,
1: I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by DreamData.
0: The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across DreamData employees through our LinkedIn lives, podcasts, and webinars.
1: The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. Today, we're going to focus on something that... I actually don't know uh, that much about, which is analyst relations and these analysts that recommend vendors of software all over the world in all sorts of categories. What is it? Is it worth the money? What does it entail? How much work is there to do? Is it actually something you should be considering in your business or not? But as I said, I, (laughs) I don't know too much about this topic, but luckily I have you here today, Wendy, that I actually do know perhaps more than anybody else in no, the world no that's
0: not true i know a lot but there's definitely people who've been doing analyst relations a lot more and as i always say you can always learn from somebody even even someone who's just been doing analyst relations for a year or two they often have some really great ideas because they're not tainted by being doing it for 20 years so you know everybody <laughs> has some really good best practices and there's no i don't think there's one person who's the best at analyst relations. Yeah. So, but at least say, uh, hey, yeah. I'll take it.
1: Looking at your CV, I was quite mind blown how but by the depth of uh, of your experience, but maybe before we just jump straight into it, maybe you can do it like the one two minute background of why do you know uh, something about this topic and what it is that like you do today on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, day-to-day it's hard, but I so I've been I, hi I'm Wendy Schlensky. I live in New York City. I'm an analyst relations expert or like I like to say a maven. A maven is someone who explains complex topics into the lay language. So whoever I'm working with, I try to explain what analyst relations is in words and language that makes sense to them. And I've been doing it for 20 years. I love it. I think that'll come out in both my like personality and my voice. I love it a little too much sometimes. I think, but that's okay. It served me well. I never thought I'd do it for this long, but here I am. And I started working with an analyst firm that is no longer here. Actually, it got. It was called Giga Information Group, and they got bought by Forrester Research, one of the top two, in my book, analyst firms in the world. And I at Giga and Forrester, I had two big vendor clients, like software software uh, services firms one of which had a whole team of analyst relations professionals that I worked with, like five or six people. And one I engaged with the VP of marketing. And so basically I convinced the VP of marketing to hire me as their first analyst relations professional. And -hmm. that was Cognizant, Cognizant, Technology Solutions, Cognizant. So like when I joined back in 2004, it was less, it was about $500 million in revenue. I was with them when they crossed the $1 billion revenue line. And it was amazing. And now they're a $16 billion company. So, you know, I'm not saying analyst relations was responsible for all of that, (laughs) but it was definitely responsible for a little bit of it. And then I worked at Cognizant. I moved to Emphasis, which is also an Indian outsourcing company. And then among other things, there are many, many things, and then moved to HGS. And about two years ago, I started my own analyst relations advisory consulting company. And since then, I've transitioned from only knowing services, which I've heard my whole life has been—it's much harder to to work with than uh, software because software you can just plug it in, and it either does what you say it does or it doesn't.
1: Yeah. Where yeah.
0: services, you're just talking about people. And in the last couple of years, I've worked with a lot of hot technology topics, so like security vendors digital experience vendors, uh, data analytics vendors, all kinds of different kinds of companies. Yeah. So I've got a much broader range than I did like two years ago.
1: Who, knows we, who knows, we point. might come hiring you at, the, <laughs> at, at some point as it. well.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: So I said, like, I don't know too much about the topic, but I quite often browse software window websites. And every now and then you'll see, hey, we did this forest thing or in the Gartner's Magic Quadrant. And I started getting curious in why is it that you do this? How do you extract value out of these things? And is it something that we should be considering at Dream Data with just 40 employees? Or what is it? But before getting into the specifics, maybe you can kind of lay out like a simple definition of what is analyst relations and what is the work that that you do there?
0: Okay, sure. So analyst relations at its best is a bidirectional feedback loop between a vendor, a technology vendor such as Dream Data or a security software vendor, outsourcing vendor, you name the technology topic, AI vendor, and an analyst, an industry analyst who covers a specific technology market. So they're like Gartner Research, I think has something like 9,000 employees across the globe. And they're not all analysts, but I'd say they probably have a good like 900 analysts across the world covering different topics. And here's a key point to note is that, and this was before, even before the pandemic, when we all went virtual, analysts typically often will work virtually. And for example, like when I was at HGS, one of my key analysts lived in New Zealand and my team would be like, why are we talking to that guy? We don't, we don't have business in New Zealand. We, we cover the US market. I'm like, he just happens to live in New Zealand, but mm. he covers our market. Don't you worry. So don't think about it as like, oh, that guy lives some, or that gal lives someplace and we don't want to do business there. So we don't want to talk to him or her. Don't think about it that way. It's about what topic do they cover and how influential are they Mm -hmm. in that market? Yeah. And when people like to say like, well, should Mm -hmm. I do analyst relations? I say, talk to your prospects and your clients. Are they talking to industry analysts? And it's not just like, when they find you but throughout the life cycle so you know yeah. when they're researching like different parts analysts work along the whole sef- software technology buying cycle so whether that's like i what vendor do i need for security software or once you have a long list how do i figure out which are the vendors that meet my needs? How do I figure yeah. out what my criteria should be to even pick a vendor? So analysts can help with that, creating the shortlist, creating the RFI, yeah. creating the criteria that you want. Yes, yeah, so on the one talking- hand,
1: they're, they're monitoring the market and understanding the technology. And the other hand is that they help, they're they kind of a shortcut for making good decisions about which, which vendors you, you go with them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They can, because just because someone I like to say like, so the Gartner magic quadrant, I think is like the, the Emmys or the Oscars of yes. the analyst relations world. Like you're yes. in the leader quadrant sales is giving you high fives. Maybe they're sending you champagne you know, People <laughs> are really, really happy. Yeah. But I like to say a vendor, a, a buyer who is buying any kind of software or services, if they're buying it just because you're in the leader's quadrant, that is not a buyer you want. Because in my opinion, that's a buyer who's not making a really informed decision. You want a buyer that is looks at the magic quadrant or the Forrester Wave, that's another version of these uh, yeah. rating reports, comparison right. reports, and talks to the analyst and says, this is what's important to me. Which vendor do you think is going to be more effective for me? Yeah, yeah. And to be a leader in the magic quadrant, you often have to have a lot of revenue. You typically have to be global, so like in three different regions. So like mm. you know, Asia, PAC, Europe, and US. Well, what if you're a buyer in the US and you really only care about my clients are only in the US? I'm not expanding to Europe. Do I really need a software that's going to help me in Europe? Probably yeah. not. So you're paying more money because you're buying the leader who works in that area. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that each situation is very different. Yeah. So you Can we just repeat
1: the, the, the magic, magic ca- quadrant uh, criteria. <laughs> just that's, that's, that's interesting <laughs> to know. Or like, I mean, as, each, I are, they, are they like defined different. things or is it people, uh, is it like a secret or do people know what it takes to get into it? Both.
0: So each of the magic quadrants, uh, like, and if you're curious about a magic quadrant, like what is a magic quadrant or like, is there a magic quadrant in my space? You can often Google like magic quadrant Mm -hmm. for like whatever the topic is. And Uh, somebody, one of the leaders typically has bought what's called reprint rights, which is the right to post the report on their website and to market it out. If you don't buy the reprint rights, you cannot put it on your website. I mean, Mm. I guess you could, but you're going to get a lawsuit. So don't do that. But you can get an in the magic quadrant. They typically evaluate anywhere from 10 to 20 vendors. And they'll have little like each one will have strengths and and cautions and a little paragraph introducing them. They'll talk about the market and they'll talk about the criteria they needed to evaluate those vendors so often there's a revenue criteria so like and it depends on the market and it depends on the year so like they'll typically Mm. do you know a magic quadrant you know several years in a row and each year the revenue criteria might go up because the market's getting bigger
1: yeah it's it was a new category and now now those firms have grown and uh so it sounds like it's not the first move you make if you create a new uh company that it's not at that point you start engaging into analyst relations. Can you say something about when are you kind of mature enough to, to take uh, dip your toes in, in this?
0: Sure. Well, like I think there's really two reasons to two main reasons to uh, work with analysts. There's the what we call the burn side, building your brand, getting your brand out there, getting more people aware of you so that you're earning more money. And then yeah. there's the learn side where you're Working with analysts to help you learn more about the market. Learn more yeah. about what your buyers are looking for so that you can create marketing that speaks to your buyers in your buyer language. And a lot of the analysts. are yeah, so will if also...
1: I'm to, to translate that, that is kind of is there any new topic that people are starting to be concerned about that you should be putting into your marketing material or making product features that that addresses or like something like that?
0: Yes, absolutely. They, like they can help you with your product roadmap. So they can yeah. look at the product roadmap and say, you know what? This is all like low hanging fruit, catch up. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got to get there. Or they can say, you know what? We're, we, our clients have been asking us for XYZ. And it would be really great if you could uh, create something that relates to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Hmm. Maybe you can share a few. I think, did you call it earn? uh earn, earn, oh, earn stories. Of, uh, so, you don't have, so to, sure. I don't have to name the companies, but just maybe some examples of what could happen uh, as outcomes.
0: Sure. So, and part of it is, it's a you're building a relationship. So, this yeah. is one place, you know, a lot of people are thinking, like, uh oh, Chat GPT is going to take my job. I think analyst yeah. relations, because it's such a people focused, job ideally is going to be safe from the bots. Ideally, bots yeah. are going to help us be even more effective and efficient. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, analyst relations was one of the most like requested jobs. It was like the 10th most sought after job, according to LinkedIn. So it's definitely a field that's growing. But in terms of ROI and what you can get from the earn side. So ideally, yeah. you're engaging your sales team and your marketing team to find out how the leads are coming into your website and how people are hearing about you and asking mm-hmm. like, oh, has, is an analyst involved in your deal? And then taking that information and putting it in your CRM and seeing it over time, like, oh yeah, we're getting a lot of queries because Gartner, people are saying that they talked to Gartner <laughs> yeah. and, you know, or they yeah. saw me in a Gartner report or something like that. And yeah. it's not just the reports. It's the analysts write, you know, they write a lot of reports but they talk to tons of people and you want them to say the right things when they're talking to those people. And as opposed to the wrong things, like for example, like think about your target market or your ideal customer profile. If you're really focused Mm -hmm. on, you know, B2B over a billion dollars, then, you know, you want those kinds of prospects. You don't want prospects that only have like 200, 200 million in revenue. So like letting, being really clear on what your ideal customer profile is and sharing that with the analysts. And even that exercise sometimes can be really useful. So you get in reports, you talk to analysts, you get in reports, analysts talk about you. Ideally that's translating to sales somehow or prospecting that they're Mm -hmm. talking about you more. And they can also like, you can also do custom studies with them. Forrester for example has a product called the TEI the total economic impact and yeah, I've you come can come
1: across that uh, some places
0: yeah yeah they're really good at marketing it right now so like again google TEI and things will come up but one of my friends who does analyst relations at uh, their client at their company they did one they interviewed four of their clients and they came back with a 582% ROI for customers yeah. that use their software. That's amazing. So if yeah. you're trying to cut through the noise of why me and your customers are super happy with you and you know what the ROI is from using you, I think it's better to have Forrester who's like a independent third party say you've got a 500% ROI than, yeah. you know, Mr. or Ms. Salesperson saying like, oh, you know, our clients are really happy with us. It's like, you know, I think independent third parties carry a lot more weight than salespeople, and I think that's really yeah. where the rubber meets the road.
1: Yeah, I think I've <laughs> read two of these T T E I reports from for, for two different vendors, and I think th- the magic is that it's not it's not mm-hmm. just a number that they invent. You can read it, and then you can understand the rationale of why have they arrived at five hundred percent. Uh, Ri, It's not it's, just it's something really that... It's a long
0: process.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah So exactly.
0: back when I worked at... Um, it was actually a tool that was invented by someone at Giga. And back when I was at... I don't know if it was Giga or Forrester, but one of those companies, I actually sold one to a non-vendor who is using it to figure out whether they should go with SAP or not. So they yeah. were trying to figure out what's the total economic <laughs> impact of choosing yeah. SAP. So you can use it for all kinds of different things. You don't just have to use it as a technology vendor play.
1: Yeah. And I think the whole software market have to uh, come up with a bit better business cases than what they had to do one or two years back. And I can definitely see this being a a supporting tool for helping clients understand the value of uh, like the economic value of uh, like signing a contract uh, with you
0: yeah well i like to say that if you're going to engage in analyst relations like could you do it without an analyst relations professional absolutely i mean Mm. you know before cognizant was doing it with their vp of marketing before i came into the picture so absolutely but with an analyst relations professional whether that's someone full-time or part-time fractional like like my business model is Then you just get there faster because we've done it before. We know what we're doing. It's kind of like anything, any kind of thing that you're doing. It's like even someone buying your business, you know what you're doing. You've done it before and you can help that company get there faster than doing it without you. Like, could they do it without you? Yeah, they could, but it would be more difficult.
1: Let's say, we let's just, if we leave out uh, that you can actually buy people who know, know what they're doing, then <laughs> if, if you're an, a company who wants to start this, you know, getting on the radar of analyst uh, firms and like building these relations, what are the things that you need to do? Like if no relations, who do you contact? Uh, what, is, what, is, what, what does the process look like once you've contacted them uh, and so forth?
0: Well, one is I figure out who your analysts are. So like, which analysts are talking to your prospects and how do you figure that out? One is like the easiest way, honestly, is to look at your competitors. Like who are your competitors? Most companies have competitors and are the analysts active in that space? And are they writing reports and including them for your competitors? So like, look at your competitor website. Do they have any like magic quadrants or Barrester Waves or uh, IDC Marketscapes? on the on their websites and yeah. then those are if you, if that's you did, uh, number google,
1: what would you like if you had like just said it uh, had oh. google in front of you how do you then what, what is it that you start typing i in would
0: that? i would search for like whoever my competitor is and then once i'm on their website i'd look for like i'd look in the newsroom or the about us yeah. or their marketing and see if they have anything anything that's related to an analyst firm and then yeah. um, those are typically the ones I would start with. Yeah. And
1: okay, so that's step one. We we find the analyst. Okay.
0: You well, find what the do analyst. We do when, yeah. Then you would do a little research about that analyst. So like, who is the analyst? What do they care about? What are they writing yeah. about? Follow yeah. them on LinkedIn. Maybe stalk them a little bit on LinkedIn. Sorry, analysts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't contact Positive. them on LinkedIn. Like, do not send them a private message saying, can I brief you? That is not the <laughs> right call. That. <laughs> and that's the number one way to get an analyst to not like you.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I've heard anyway. And here's yeah. the, here's the other thing. Everything I say, take with a grain of salt because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all individuals and we all like to do it differently. So I'm yeah. sure there's an analyst out there who's like, oh, Wendy, I totally want people to write into me and I'll take their briefing. But yeah, a lot of them are like, tell tell your startups not to do that that is the number one thing they should not do
1: okay Um, so we don't reach out there and uh, yeah we don't do direct messaging what do we do instead
0: yeah so you want the analyst to know who you are so you need to create a briefing and there's resources out like you can google and i'll i'll get you a bunch of i'll get you a couple really good links that you could put in the pod notes for how to do a really good briefing and Read that. You'll learn how to do a briefing. You put together a briefing deck, 30 minutes talking about yourself. The the blog will tell you everything you need to know, what you need to put in there. Then once you're ready, because I know how people work, people say like, oh, I'm just going to ask for a date and then I'll get ready. But like, get ready, practice it. Practice it with yourself, (laughs) your friends, your mother. Make sure your mother can, you know, if your mother's not in tech, make sure she understands what you're talking about. You want to make sure it's understandable. And then book your briefing. So you go on Gartner.com or Forrester.com and at the bottom of the, like you scroll all the way down, there's usually something like book a briefing or analyst relations, yeah. uh-huh. they change yeah. it around. So that's why I can't tell you exactly where it is. Yeah. Um, but then you book the briefing, you fill out the form. Like if it says like about your company, put some information in there, make it like, make it interesting, make it think about like, I'm selling myself to my most important prospect. What do yeah. I want them to remember about me? That's how you want to think about it, and keep it probably simple. Probably some like of the
1: companies that has yeah. Say that again. I think probably some of the companies that have raised money from investors, there's probably some of the the preparation you did for like presenting the vision of your company to investors that could probably be recycled, um, or at least I'm guessing Wendy that that some of some that of could it can be,
0: be recycled. recycled. Yeah. but it's better to start from like you can recycle some of it. But there's some things that investors care about that analysts don't, and some things that yeah, analysts yeah, yeah, care yeah. about that investors don't, and that's that's one of my yeah. pod partners' number one pet peeves is like, don't deliver your your funding sort oh, your ah, funding okay. doc to the analysts. Yeah.
1: got it. Okay, so you've booked the meeting and then uh, you carried out the first presentation. Is there kind of a layer yeah. of people you need to to get through, or what's
0: what does that? There take is a you layer know? of people. So there's yeah. so like the, there's the vendor briefing team and they will schedule your briefing. So yeah. you submit your request within 48 hours, you'll get a, a email back with a link. Like ideally the analyst has accepted your briefing. So that's why you yeah. want, like they can say like, Oh, we're too busy. It's not the right time. I'm not yeah. interested. That doesn't cover. Yeah. I don't cover that topic. Any of those yeah. excuses. And um, they're not excuses. They're real. And then you know, and ideally you get that email back. As a non-client, yeah. I've heard sometimes it can be hard to get that email back. So like you might have to send a couple of notes uh, yeah. and you might have to like reach out, find somebody who knows the analyst to like reach out mm-hmm. to them and try and get them to like take your call. Yeah, yeah. It's um, like you want to make it interesting. You want you want the analyst to want to take your call. Like, yeah. think about what's in it for them. They're going to hear about some hot new technology that's going to help their clients do X, Y, Z, and why you're different. And the differentiation is really key. So you have the briefing and then the Gartner sales rep is going to try. If you don't, if you're not a client, Gartner sales reps are amazing. They are really, really, really good at their job, yeah. which means they can be kind of annoying because they're constantly calling and calling all your people and, Um, But they're really good salespeople. Yeah, if you're looking for, we have
1: we have have an uh, an E that comes from Gartner, and yeah, she's also really good.
0: Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah, I heard her on the pod the other day. She was great. Uh, Ah, Social selling (laughs) tips; (laughs) those were good. Um, Anyway, uh, so your Gartner a Gartner sales rep will start, you know, trying to sell you, and um. I mean, there's lots of tips. Some of them, some of them, I don't really want to share on the public. No, format. no, of course, of course. And what about <laughs> the
1: timelines here? Uh, how long does a process take? Uh, any kind of ballpark figures on that? Uh,
0: it depends. So, like, it depends how quickly you can get your deck together and yeah. what's going on in the cycle. So, yeah. like, for example, if you have a magic quadrant in your space, like, there's Probably a month after the Magic Quadrant publishes might be the best time to brief the analyst. Uh-huh. Um, if you're not trying to get into it. because like as a small vendor, getting into it, you know, you might want to wait a couple of years to get into it. You might want to like educate the analyst, make sure they understand who you are, work with them yeah. so that you end up like in the position you want to be in. as opposed yeah. to if you start, you know, you start working today, But your story isn't that strong, Mm, you might not, you might do a lot of work and not get in there because you might not qualify from a revenue perspective or a client perspective. Um, But there's, uh, um, so you have the briefing and then you you ideally start to engage with the analyst, whether that's like another briefing, you want to get them, like, you want to get them to like want to hear more from you. So, you know, you want to have your briefing to be meaty enough that they get what they need, but like, you want to leave them wanting more. Like when my, this is the, this is both, this is the worst thing about, one of the worst things about analyst relations is you're (laughs) never done ever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we get off the call and they're like, great. Like we've got three follow-up action items because they want to hear about our product roadmap and our co- customers yeah. and our ideal customer profile. And we've got to schedule three more briefings to cover those three things. I'm like, yeah. yes. And my, my, my executives are like, we have more work to do. I'm like, yup. Yeah, It's, it's, the I guess one of the number one things to remember is that it's a long play. It's yeah. not, it's not a short play.
1: Hmm. like you're yeah. building
0: relationships these things take a long time
1: yeah it's uh, <laughs> or <laughs> okay, at I least you it. can buy your service and then make it a little no no, bit no it's still fun. The, um, I love it uh, if like if, if I think just in terms of this like if if I'm a vendor that wants to do this how do you then construct the uh, the business case for deciding now we want to go on this path kind of what is it that you kind of when is the timing right when how much there's kind of we need to spend some time but it also costs some money is it the right timing for us now kind of how do you arrive at uh, I'm guessing like how do you arrive at that conclusion on now this is the path yeah to go to
0: I I like to look at both the learn and the earn side together so if that's the case, then... Maybe just repeat know, the,
1: what learn and earn oh, yeah, is, sure. Wendy. Earn, earn is
0: brand gets. building. So like getting customers, uh, ensuring that more customers know what your, your brand is. And yeah. the learn side is learning about the market, working with analysts to help them help you about the market, reviewing your messaging, reviewing your website, those kinds of yeah. activities. So I like to look at them together because I think especially for a small startup that or even a big startup, that is where you get the most value. Otherwise um, if you just go for the learn side, somebody eventually is going to be upset that you're not getting the earn side. So if you're working on both together, it, it works better. And for that, you need to have a couple, at least two really, really great customer references that are within your ideal customer profile. So like a lot of customer, a lot of times startups will have like a bunch of customers who just like, you know, the sales rep went out and they just sold them something, but it's not what they really want to work in. Like I even look at my business, like, you know, I really want to do advisory, but I've got a bunch of clients who I do full service analyst relations for. So, you know, I want customers that I do advisory to be my references to customers that I, want. So I that's, think that's a really this, good uh, think...
1: good definition, Wendy, that it's not before you really have your ideal customer profiles as your customers, <laughs> you're not ready to <laughs> start the analyst relations. I think that, that, that I at least can relate to that we're, we're starting to have those, but it's only been within the last maybe a year that we've, we've had those
0: and that's an okay time to start like because it's going to take it's a long play and like i'm not yeah. trying to sell you my services that's not no, 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 that's no, no, not it. but um like like one of my clients they um they're starting to get their ideal client profile yeah. and and they started working with me probably in like, they started thinking about it in like October and they've been clients of, of Gartner and Forrester for the last year or so. Yeah. So they like started, yeah. they bought contracts. They started using it a little bit. Uh, this, yeah. the Most of the clients, most of the startups I've had, they've bought one or either Forrester or Gartner. They start They start trying to use it. They realize how much time it is. <laughs> And then they like come yeah. to someone like me, and and like I help them like get more ROI out of it. Um, yeah, makes sense. And um, um, like again, you could you could do it without without us, but we just we help you faster. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of us out there. I mean, um, it's
1: also because it's 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 you know it's still a very very niche uh, skill. So yeah. it's, it is hard to start like from scratch on it. So uh, for me, it makes sense that you would probably want guidance on it. Um, yeah. So now we're kind of, we're running uh, a little bit out of time now, when the, um, or at least closing to the end. Is there anything that you feel like we, we've not covered yet that we, we should cover in relation to these analyst relations and why to build them and how it works and, and so forth?
0: Sure. I think one of the, One of the things I want people to remember is it's not just about hiring an analyst relations professional. If you think you're going to hire an analyst relations professional and they're going to they're going to make hay for you and you're just going to sit back and do your regular job, it's not going to work well the analyst relations professional is like a concierge into the company for the analysts they can help you like they know the right restaurants they know the right shows they know how to reach you know they know how to get you into that hot restaurant but they're not the chef you're the chef so you know the people uh, you know you want the founders you want the head of product you want The head of strategy, you know, depending on there's lots of different titles, lots of different Mm -hmm. names, different companies have different kinds of kinds of roles, but you want uh, You want multiple people to be engaged with your analyst, just like you want multiple people engaged with your clients. Like uh, one of my CEOs used to say, I want three up and three across I want to have I want to know a lot of different people at the organization because if my yeah. client contact leaves and I only know one yeah. person there then I'm, my, it's not going to renew.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, the yeah, same yeah. kind of thing. That makes sense.
0: Um, that's the number one thing I think is that it's not just it's not just me or the person who, you know, sits in my seat. It's yeah. it's got to be you too. And um, it's it's really fun. And you can get, like, most of my clients are amazed at the kinds of things that analysts can share with them. They think that, they go in thinking like, oh, it's all about the magic quadrant. But then they start engaging with the analysts and they're like, wow, those analysts are really smart and they're helping me think through these business problems that I have about my business and how to market myself and what is my ideal customer profile or what is what should my messaging be? That sort of thing. And yeah. some of the questions are really tough. Like I, I'm i often sitting, like I like to say, like I sit on top of everything and I see how everything works.
1: And mm. I often
0: see the broken processes. So like, <laughs> it's fun, but you know, nobody, uh, Wonderful sometimes I'm the bearer of news, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> it's fun.
1: So um, good, Wendy. I want to thank you very much for, for taking the time to at least educate me uh, on this topic. Uh, I think I have a lot better Im- uh, impression now of what it actually it's, it's all about. And I think I'll, I'll go straight to, to Google now to try to write magic <laughs> contra and then a few different keywords and then try to find analysts without now writing them directly. <laughs> but maybe just uh, start following them and see what it is that they talk about within our industry.
0: Yeah. And use use the social selling tips from the uh, the other pod as ideas of how to, you know, work with the analysts, too, because it's not just about your prospects. It's like, how do you build relationships with people online in general? And I'll send you the link to that. It's a great blog about uh, a briefing, like what to do for a briefing. It's so good. I can't recommend it more. Thank you. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that
1: we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.